If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil, on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for your, any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, we're going to have some fun this morning. Or at least I am. I don't know about you, but it's going to be fun for me. Because today we're going to be saying stuff that you've probably never heard before. You're not going to find it in any commentary you're going to find in any bookstore. Probably not in any commentary ever written in the history of commentaries. You might, in fact, think that what you're going to hear is quite off the wall. And that's okay. You know, you, at the end of the sermon, you may find that you don't agree with me. Uh, and that's fine. Okay? Because I could be wrong. It's happened before. We're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan today. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a very famous parable. One of the, the two best-known parables Jesus told is this one and the prodigal son. Even non-Christians, even people who never touch the Bible, know these parables. Uh, we've even adopted the term Good Samaritan into our language. You can see it in the newspapers when somebody does a good deed for somebody else, he's referred to as a Good Samaritan. Of course, the meaning, the point that Jesus is making in this parable is very obvious. It is clear to everyone, isn't it? You get this uh, fellow, he goes down, he's uh, being beaten by thieves, and uh, he's in trouble. Along comes the priest, priest doesn't help him. Along comes Levite, Levite doesn't help him. Along comes the Samaritan, and you know, Samaritan's the bad guy, nobody likes the Samaritan, but the Samaritan is the guy who helps the beaten man. Uh, question, who is your neighbor? And it's obvious, isn't it? Who is your neighbor? Mr. Rogers. Okay, who else? Well, everyone is your neighbor, right? 
I mean, that, that's, that's the point of the parable, isn't it? The fellow, the lawyer, the expert in the law, the scribe who comes to Jesus asking the question, he's thinking that, you know, only the good guys are the neighbor, only the righteous and the pious Jews are the neighbor, and Jesus is telling this parable to show him he's wrong, that everyone is your neighbor. I mean, right? Isn't, isn't that the point of the parable? Love your neighbor, and everyone is your neighbor, so you love everybody, right? That's how one commentary puts it. If a Samaritan could prove himself a true neighbor to a Jew by showing mercy to him, then all men are neighbors. Another commentary puts it this way. It was clear that any person who crossed his path in life and had need was to be classified as a neighbor. And yet another commentary. Neighborhood is coextensive with humanity. So that's it, right? Can I get an amen here? Is that right? Love your neighbor. Uh, who's your neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. Say love everyone, right? Is there a problem here? Is this right or not? Yeah, so everyone knows it, so I guess we're done here, right? What if everyone's wrong? What if that's not the point of the parable? You remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Pharisee. And everyone knows the Pharisees are legalists. Everyone knows that was their problem. They had this, this uh, anal retentive desire to keep every aspect of the law. And that's what Jesus was bashing them for. And everybody knew that was the case without even looking at it. And we took a look and we saw, you know what, that wasn't the case. The Pharisees weren't legalists. That's not what Jesus bashed them for. What everyone knew was wrong. And see, what happens is, is people get to be trained in their thinking. They hear these ideas floating around. The Pharisees are legalists and they just, that idea gets so ingrained in their minds that they don't actually see what's being said in the Bible. The facts are there and no one notices. As Sherlock Holmes said to Watson in his famous dictum, you see, but you do not observe. Everyone knows that the point of the parable here is that everyone is your neighbor. But in fact, the point of the parable is not to say that everyone is your neighbor. It's not to say that all men are neighbors. That cannot be the point of this parable. Let's try it again. You get the guy, he's walking down the street, and he falls into the hands of some thieves. He gets beaten, and he's lying there, and then along comes a priest, and the priest walks by, and along comes a Levite, and the Levite walks by, and along comes a Samaritan, and the Samaritan helps him, and then Jesus says, which one was the neighbor? And the fellow says, well, I guess the one had mercy on the, the Samaritan. And then at that point, Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. It's not just the Samaritan, it's everyone, right? No, he doesn't say that, does he? There's four groups identified in the parable, and only one is designated neighbor. The thieves are not designated neighbor. The priest is not designated neighbor. The Levite is not designated neighbor. Just one out of four. So whatever the parable is saying, it is not saying that everyone is your neighbor. And that point, I think, is indisputable. That should be obvious. Whatever the parable is saying, it is not saying that everyone is your neighbor. But somehow, we always miss that. So now, we do observe this. And then we see something else curious in the parable when we start observing. And the curious thing is this. The fellow starts asking, who is my neighbor? 
In other words, who should I love? Because he's supposed to love his neighbor. Who's the neighbor? Who's the one I should love? And Jesus tells the parable, and then he says, who is the neighbor? And the fellow says, I suppose the one who had mercy on him. It sounds like the parable is saying, the na- your neighbor is the one who has mercy on you. Is that the one you're supposed to love? Curious. Now, some commentators do notice this uh, anomaly, this curious detail. And what do you do with it? Well, they kind of have to claim that Jesus turned the question around halfway through. Uh, one commentator says this, Jesus reversed the lawyer's original question. The lawyer assumed it was up to others to prove themselves neighbor to him. Jesus' reply makes it clear that each has a responsibility to be a neighbor, especially to those who are in need. Another commentator says this, The story of the Good Samaritan had an unexpected twist to it. It started off to answer the question, Who is my neighbor? But it ended by posing the question, To whom do you prove yourself a neighbor? Another commentator, What Jesus is emphasizing is this, The question is not, Who is my neighbor? But am I being a neighbor to those needy ones whom the Lord places in my path? Now, I'd be the last to say you shouldn't be nice, to those in need, and you shouldn't help, and you should love. Of course you should. And the Bible's clear on that. But is that what the parable is saying here? Did Jesus really reverse the question? Did the Lord come to Jesus asking a legitimate question, and then Jesus just changes it around, answers a different question without even saying that he's doing so? That would be a bit uh, misleading. And I don't see anything in the text to suggest Jesus answering a different question from the one that was asked. Nor for that matter do I see anything in the text to justify the claim that the lawyer assumed it was up to others to prove themselves neighbor. I don't think Jesus reversed the question. So we've got these two strange aspects to the parable that maybe you never observed before. Not everyone is your neighbor, and the neighbor is the one who has mercy on you. Let's dig a little deeper now into this parable, and let's start actually looking at what's there Let's start with that magic word, context. Because everything has to be understood in context. This is where you go wrong, where you rip things out of context. The story starts with a certain lawyer coming to Jesus. And what is a lawyer? No, it's not those uh, scum-sucking people that we have nowadays. The lawyers were... Okay, if anybody's trying to go into law, forget I said that. I don't want to get sued. I'm sure there's a good lawyer somewhere in the world. I haven't found him, but... Must be one. The, the Lord was the, we're talking about the law of Moses here. The Lord was the scribe. This is another way of saying scribe. These were the experts. These were the ones who knew the law of Moses inside out and were responsible to teach it to the people. Uh, why did they know? Because they could actually read and write. You know, which, which in those days, most people couldn't read and write. Thanks to public school, we're bringing those days back. Anyway, so this, uh, scribe, this lawyer goes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let's stop right there for a moment. Does that sound like anyone else you know? Think about it. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Does that sound familiar? Who? Pardon? The rich young ruler. But uh, the only difference is he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Exactly the same question. It's important to look at this context, therefore. The parable that Jesus told here was not floating around in a vacuum. It was told in a specific situation. 
in response to a specific and crucial question. Somebody wants to know how to inherit eternal life. That's a serious question. It's not one that Jesus will gloss over. Now, Jesus' initial answer may seem to us to be strange because he points the lawyer to the law, right? He points the lawyer to the law. He says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, we know, and the Bible is very clear, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We would expect that somehow Jesus should be pointing to himself, but he points to the law, and that seems strange. But then we remember that the very same thing happened with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, wanting to know how to inherit eternal life, and the first thing Jesus did was pointed him to the law. You know the commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. He pointed him to the law first. And I think there's a similar reason. You may recall with the rich young ruler, he was a fellow who was a pious believer. He kept the law. When Jesus pointed him to the law, he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. He was a good guy. He wanted to follow God. So why did he come to Jesus? And we said before that there seems at some level he knew it wasn't enough. He needed something more. And so he came to Jesus. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. And Jesus went to the law. And that was not adequate because it found the law wasn't enough. And from there, Jesus went to himself, that one thing you lack, go and saw that you have, and then come and follow me. He begins with the law, he moves to Jesus. Because to answer that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It has to point to Jesus. Somehow, there is salvation nowhere else. The question that this fellow is asking is a legitimate and crucial question. I would inherit eternal life. And I think This is what the commentators miss when they say Jesus turned the question around. Because the real question that sets the context here is not, who is my neighbor? The real question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor is just an auxiliary question. So the Lord comes to Jesus, and he asks this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And immediately we should be asking ourselves, why does he ask? He's not a plumber not a shepherd. He's a lawyer. He is the expert in the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And does not the law of Moses tell you how to inherit eternal life? He should know the answer. It's right there in Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now as a lawyer, he certainly must know this. And yet he comes to Jesus and asks, anyway, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And God asked, why? And the only thing I can come up with is, as with the rich young ruler, some level he felt it was not enough. Some level he knew just keeping the law was not going to get him there. So he asks, and Jesus takes him right to the law. And verses 26 to 28, the fellow says, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, 
you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There's something strange in all this. The New Testament, as we've said, makes it clear that no one can live by the law. No one. Romans 3, verse 20 a says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Jesus takes this man to the law. The man answers with the commandments. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Although the New Testament makes it clear no one can live by this. Is that a problem? There's something wrong if Jesus responds to the question by pointing to something which cannot give him eternal life. So I don't think he's going to stop there. He's going to go further, as he did with the rich young ruler. Lawyer can leave at this point. I mean, he has an answer, right? He can go back and he can try to follow those commandments. But he doesn't leave. It's not enough to satisfy him. He asks another question. And who is my neighbor? Is there anything strange about that question? Anything strange there? Well, I think there's something strange. Because the Old Testament law tells you exactly who your neighbor is. Not a mystery. In the very verse that tells you to love your neighbor, it tells you who your neighbor is. Leviticus 19.18 You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So now we don't bother to like check up the reference there. Eh? It tells you who your neighbor is. The children of your people. Your fellow Jews. The lawyer, again, he must know this. He knows the law. He's an expert. There's nothing, in fact, to suggest that his view of loving or felt Jew was too narrow, not as far as the law is concerned. Now, certainly Jesus did expand the law. Sermon on the Mount expanded how far adultery extends, how far murder extends. It's not problematic if Jesus extends it here. The lawyer wants more, and it is now, with this setting, with this build-up, that Jesus tells the parable. In response to the question, who is my neighbor, in the larger context of how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is not turning the question around. He is going to tell the lawyer, or at least he is going to intimate what in fact he must do to inherit eternal life. Here is the strange part of the parable. And you may not agree with this, and you don't have to. You agree to be wrong. Let's take a look at the parable yet again. you got a certain man here. You've got this lawyer. And again, the question is, he is the one who is asking who is my neighbor. Jesus has, in the parable, who is neighbor to the beaten man, which means the beaten man is standing in place of the lawyer. The question is, who is the lawyer's neighbor? Who was neighbor to the beaten man? The beaten man is the lawyer. So you got a man here who is mortally wounded in the parable. He's dying. He's half dead. He's going to die without help. There's a lawyer who's looking for eternal life. And he doesn't have it. He's dying. He's on his way to death. Along comes a priest. And the priest does nothing for him. Along comes a Levite. Levite does nothing for him. And at this point, you might want to ask, why a priest and a Levite in the parable? Why not, for example, a king? Jesus often used kings in his parable. Why not a nobleman? Why not a rich man? They're also prominent in Jesus' parables. Why specifically a priest and a Levite? What do they represent? They represent the law, the sacrificial system, the old covenant. That's what this fellow is basing his hope on. And you know what? They don't help him. 
The priest, the Levite, they leave him dying. And along comes the Samaritan. Samaritan is the despised guy. He's the one nobody likes. He's the one that the priests and Levites reject. He's the one that, that the priests and Levites say, oh, this guy's unclean. Stay away from him. Have nothing to do with him. But what does he do? He's the one who cleans the man's wounds, bandages them up, saves him from death, brings him back to life. Now what might be the point of the parable? The law, the legal system, the old covenant, sacrifices, the priests, the Levites, if you want eternal life, they can't help you. They can't give it to you. There is one who can. There is one who heals. He's the one you must love. Who do you think that is? Any idea? You think maybe he's hinting at himself? Might be a bit of a stretch. There is one who can help. He's despised, but he is the one who can save you. He is your neighbor. You must love him. You must love the Lord your God, and you must love your neighbor, God who came to dwell with you, God the Son. That's how you inherit eternal life. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 1 John 2.23 Now this would make sense of the parable. I mean, everything would fit. Still would be a bit of a stretch, right? He's not explicitly saying this is Jesus. It's a hint. It's an intimation. you got to think carefully to get there. But at least you don't need to tweak anything by claiming Jesus reversed the question when he didn't. You don't need to ignore the context. I mean, everything does fit. But there's, of course, the problem is, would the lawyer possibly see Samaritan as Jesus? Is there any reason to think that the picture or image of a Samaritan would twig Jesus in the mind of the lawyer? Describe. Any reason to think that? Any reason at all? I don't think so. This guy's a scribe, right? He's a lawyer. He's a scribe. He's part of that big bunch of people, the Jewish leaders who are against Jesus. And they said some nasty things about Jesus. The guy thinks that they accuse him of. What did they accuse him of? Blasphemy, yeah. Accuse him of being demon-possessed. What else? Oh, is this one from John 8, 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? That was one of the accusations this bunch of people were making. You can see the irony here, if this is indeed what Jesus meant. There's a certain delicious humor in it. That guy you're accusing of being a Samaritan. Yeah, here comes the Samaritan in the parable. He's the one who saves you. I can see that guy's face turning red as he hears that. He's coming to me to find out how to inherit eternal life. That eternal life comes from the one you and your pals are calling a Samaritan. And then he's going to come again. Denarius a day's wage. She's going to be gone for two days and then come again on the third day. You know, maybe this is going, you know, just way overboard on imagination here. Wouldn't want to go to the wall on these ones. But I do think, I think this is what Jesus intended by this parable. I, I don't think the pedestrian understanding just fits either the context or the details. And once again, you don't have to be. It's up to you. You think there's too much of a stretch? You know, go, go with whatever understanding you think fits. But I think this is it. It seems arcane. seems that it's a stretch. It seems that it is esoteric. Remember what Jesus said about the purpose of parables. 
To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Those who really pursue, really dig into the parables, who really learn what they mean. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.